G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. If there's something we learn from the developments in the United States presidential elections, it's that the Christian constituency has become a sought-after prize. Donald Trump proved four years ago on his rise to the presidency that a policy setting that reached out to a forgotten block of voters paid big dividends at the ballot box. Well, in Australia, Christians appear to be something in a, something of a similar boat, a forgotten category as political parties form their own platforms, often contrary to traditional Christian values. Some Christian commentators suggest that our Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who thanked the quiet Australians in his election victory speech last year, was referring to Christian voters. You'll recall he used the word miracle a number of times in his speech. Of course, many put the wind down to a choice between two bad alternatives, but the Labor platform had become so anti-Christian that it was difficult to consider voting for Labor. So a conversation today about a newfound boldness in the Australian Christian community recognising that we're Christians and we vote. A couple of elections coming up in the ACT. Voting starts on the 28th of September. The actual polling day is the 17th of October. In Queensland, polling day is on the 31st of October. And as we just heard, uh, the pre-poll voting starts on the 10th of October. So our special guest talking through some of these issues this hour, Dave Pellow, who's well-known Division listeners. He's a Christian conservative writer and commentator. He's editor of The Good Source and convener of the annual Church and State Summit. Dave Pellow, a special welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil. So good to be with you again. Dave, uh, interesting type of a topic for conversation today as we talk about the idea of a new breed of Christian voter. Uh, That might lead us to the thought that maybe there's a contrast to an old breed of Christian voter. Any thoughts on on how the change might look today as we talk about a new breed? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Um, I I wonder if we might even be talking about a new breed of Christian, somebody who, unlike the Levite and the priest who walked past the man in the parable of Jesus who had been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. I wonder if we're not talking about instead a a breed of Christian who is now willing to be inconvenienced uh, for an opportunity to love his neighbor in in an opportunity that isn't his career, isn't his calling, isn't his perhaps special anointing, but is actually willing to be interrupted from where he was going and what we are doing with our normal days and lives to be distracted by the need of our neighbours. And I submit to you that there is no better opportunity to help more people with less effort than in a democracy. 
especially on election day. Uh, one vote can influence the fates, fortunes, prosperity, liberty, peace and justice of 25 million neighbours in just one day. Uh, so influencing more people with less effort uh, by using your vote on polling day, and sometimes people don't value their vote, it's like it's a throwaway thing, or maybe I may not even turn up. Uh, at least we have this compulsory voting in Australia, and mm. so most of us in our culture, we have this idea that we will turn up. But this idea of influencing more people for good... Uh, could be, and I've heard this discussed before, that when you vote, it's an act of love, mm. uh, love for your fellow Australian. And so well, when you act out of love, I mean, you know, maybe you're thinking of your vote as a weapon mm. uh, because, you know, you want to use that to beat down the other side that you disagree with. But there is a certain sense in which uh, in which voting can be an act of love. Well, you said the words less effort there. I, I don't want to – I actually want to encourage more effort. Uh, more effort than we usually do, more effort than, if I might be so uh, blunt, the old breed of Christian would do with an election. Uh, but it's less effort than if we had to individually help 25 million neighbours one at a time. So in that sense, it's really well-leveraged effort, um, but it will take some effort. Uh, and I think this is perhaps the thing... Uh, to go back to Jesus' parable that the priest and the Levite who walked past the opportunity to be inconvenienced and interrupt and invest themselves into the need of their neighbours, I think that's the effort the priest and the Levite didn't want to do. And, and so the call is, let's be the good Samaritan. And, you know, the motivation should absolutely be others, not self. And there's a great allergy to politics in the pulpit it brings some preachers out in hives at the mere thought of having to discern the difference between the options at election time. And there's some good reasons for that, because you never want to divide, etc. But the other main reason is that it seems a little bit of a dirty grab for power on behalf of Christianity and Christians. And if that is your motivation, and if that is what you think... I want to encourage two things. One, lift your hands, step back slowly from the weapon, walk away, do not touch politics. Number two, get educated. Uh, get educated by the Word of God. Get educated by your local church and pastor uh, and time in prayer and fellow Christians who understand properly what the nexus, the very intimate relationship between the kingdom of God and politics and when you understand that, it is all about others. It is the mission of the church. It is the other side of the coin for the gospel. Um, we absolutely have to be getting involved. Isaiah 1.17 uh, in the NIV says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. I could number... There's a really great study and countless sermons in how much the Bible, the gospel from old to new, and especially the kingdom of God is all about us 
serving the justice and peace of everyone around us. Let's dwell for a moment on the idea that, you know, you mentioned church leaders. Uh, Some of them will shy away from talking politics because it has a divisive element. Uh, If you start talking political things, and particularly if it sounds a little bit more partisan, uh, then some people might get offside. And there's others, no doubt, who might have a level of naivety or even ignorance about politics. Mm. And let's just face it, uh, if your pastor or priest has spent many years studying theologically and about ministry, uh, that in itself is like an all-consuming discipline. Mm. Uh, Then to be across some level of political science, to understand what's happening politically, well, that's going to take twice as much effort. So if you want to understand the ways of God and then understand how the political rough and tumble works, that sounds like a lot of hard work, Dave. Well, yes, hard work, um, but not too far from what we're trained in. Uh, If the Bible's not clear on a political topic, the church should be silent on it. The church shouldn't assert biblical authority where biblical authority does not exist. Uh, I use a very simple illustration all the time Uh, i live in southeast queensland and the bible has no position on how many lanes should be on the freeway between brisbane and the gold coast now well-meaning sincere christians could argue biblical wisdom for both cases less lanes or more lanes Uh, less lanes you would argue has less environmental impact and so we're better stewarding god's creation but more lanes creates better traffic efficiency uh, and therefore more time with the family. Now, God clearly values both family and creation and asks us to too. And so we need to hold intention and debate uh, what we're going to do with that. But there is no biblical authority for either case. Biblical wisdom, yes. Biblical authority, no. However, there are many political issues on which there is immense biblical authority on those we can be bold and a lot of those come down to how we understand being created in the image and likeness of god Uh, we can get some biblical wisdom on a whole lot of different dimensions sometimes it comes down to some fairly simple facts that we are created in god's image i mean even this idea created man and woman i mean this sheds so much light on a lot of the controversies right now Mm. and it's a very simple concept to be able to pick up on for any ordinary person who wants to get an idea of where truth lies. Now, yep. you can go and study that very deeply, mm. and you can spend years studying that very deeply. But mm. if you can trust that we are created in the image and likeness of God, that he has created us male and female, then you've got a foundation there to be able to hold firm when some of the winds start to blow and people come up with all sorts of ideas. Yeah, and so relax, Pastor. You don't need to mention parties. You don't need to divide your congregation. What you need to do is unite your congregation around the Word of God. And that then leads us to the political prayer or exhortation of Abraham Lincoln, who said, Ask not if God is on your side, but ask if you are on God's side. And so that should be what the pastor should be preaching in in election time, is decide early how you're going to vote And then, probably I want to rephrase that, Uh, have a look at the candidates and and have a look which of them is closest to God's side. And how would Jesus, if he had your ballot, how would he steward that ballot, those options, and number those preferences 
who would he say is closest to representing the kingdom of God? Um, and what we can then say from the pulpit is when it comes to these deal breaker issues, which Jesus would absolutely fight against, like killing people, denigrating the image of God, like slavery. Let's take one that's not on the table right now. Absolutely, we know how Jesus would have voted on that issue. Anybody who disputes that is just wrong. And some people have disputed it, and that's okay. They were wrong. It's not a controversial topic right now. Uh, And so there are so many other issues that we can advocate for today, and the Christian constituency should be mobilized and should be united around the infallible, inerrant word of God where it is black and white authoritative on these topics. And the sixth commandment has never been reinterpreted or revoked. You shall not murder. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. It's Neil with you. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Dave Pellow is our guest. He's a Christian conservative writer and commentator. He's the editor of a fairly new opportunity to uh, hear from significant conservative spokespeople on all sorts of issues that the nation is facing. It's called The Good Source. Uh, Dave's also the convener of the annual Church and State Summit. And uh, honour to you, Dave Pellow, because that Church and State Summit opened up something significant in our nation. It said we need to talk about what happens politically and what role the church has. Some people feel like the church is separated from the state in the sense of feeling like somehow or other we have no political voice. Uh, And that's a challenging thing, and there might be listeners who might like to comment on that. But, of course, what the conversation has led to with so many wonderful guests that you've featured in the Church and State Summit is that there is a place for the influence of the Christian voice, and it's been a very powerful opportunity. Any thoughts on just how things have begun to evolve since the start of the Church and State Summit? Uh. Do you mean the conversation in Australia? The conversation in Australia, yes. Um, look, it's. I'd like to take credit for it, but I, I feel like I'm just tagging on the end, really. Um, but and happy to support what the what the mission is is to imitate God, and and that's so dear to my heart. And so I don't care if I'm at the front of the train or the back of the train on that. I just want to be on the train and. And what the mission of the church is, is the kingdom of God, to preach the kingdom of God, to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come. Uh, and, and that really requires us to be participators, not observers. Uh, and so if there's anything the Church and State Summit wants to do, it's to help ordinary people who would say, I'm not called to politics, to then say, I am called to have a voice and to understand that that is as part of the theological institution of the church universal, that the church's role is to speak to society. And what you've done with those church and state summits is you've brought everybody into the one room. You brought church leaders and activists and politicians into the one room to be involved in the one conversation. And it's not as though, uh, you know, you just had a a whole lot of people who were religious up front just speaking. You've Mm. actually got people on the front line. You've got 
people who are political commentators and some of Australia's highest level journalists who write about political comment and wonder why the church doesn't stand up and be Mm. outspoken, wonder why the church is standing back and letting other people join the political parties, form the platform foundation for political parties and uh, and then pre-select the candidates that will be selected for uh, for uh, for as candidates for uh, for election so you've brought into that a christian idea that maybe we can be people who can make a difference as well this idea of a you know this new breed of christian voter i, I think it's a lot of good things like that have been birthed out of your uh, summits uh, what are your thoughts for uh, for the people who have been influenced by the summits to be more politically active uh well one of the one of the things again is is my desire is to be part of the solution and part of the problem for which we need the solution is a lack of information and a lack of education on this. People are necessarily occupied with their occupation, whether it's being a full-time parent or a full-time tradesman or a full-time office worker or manager, CEO or or whatever, full-time pastor. Uh, It's very hard to um, condense and curate the information you need because there is so much information out there. It's really easy to get distracting information, really easy to get wrong information. Um, And so, for example, tomorrow night on my uh, live show, I've got planned uh, one of the ladies who is a grassroots member of the local um, conservative party or conservative liberal party. And and, uh, she has been part of raising good policies at the party conventions. So not a politician, um, not a uh, not a elitist in in any sense of the word. She's just a regular punter like you and me, and and her kind of initiative, popularly supported, not just her by herself, but with the popular support of good people in a political party. The LNP party in Queensland has now brought um, a strong commitment to anti-abortion legislation, uh, the kind of legislation which we should have, which is empowering women, giving them independent counselling and taking back some of the extremely anti-kingdom, anti-justice, anti-human policies that this state currently has. So we'll be talking about that and just showing people you can do this. She's not got any more skills or abilities than anybody else. Uh, she's obviously a passionate person who might not want to be the candidate up front, might not want to front the cameras and the microphones, mm. uh, but has a way of understanding the process to get a, uh, a certain level of influence into the agenda that's being debated. And that's got to be a powerful part of having political influence. Hey, we're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Alison in Old in northern New South Wales. Hi, Alison. Welcome along. Good morning. Thank you. Alison, what are your thoughts today? Um, I was um, um, not really politically minded growing up, but um, as I'm getting older and I'm a mother of um, grown-up children and some younger children, I, have, I also foster children, um, awesome. I'm feeling like I don't have a voice and I am seeing that our politicians are making decisions for um, people um, across the board, um, decisions such as abortion 
and the definition of what a family is and even the foster care system. And I'm finding that we really do need to try and, as Christians, try and find that voice and that power to be able to get across in, um, I guess, a, um, a voice that is heard. And I just heard you then talking about this woman in Queensland and she sounds like the sort of person I'd really love to be in contact with because I'm seeing things happening even in the foster care system that really just curl my toes. And um, as a foster carer, I have so much information and so much passion to share with someone who is willing to listen, but there is no one to um, talk to. There's no one to reach that has any power to make changes in legislation or um, changes in local um, care of these children. Alison, you make some powerful points here, and the idea of co- a toe-curling uh, positions uh, politically, somebody knows how to put those positions into the platform that are causing your toes to curl. Uh, it's an interesting one here, Dave Pello, that uh, that if someone can get in there and influence policy in such a way that will make your toes curl, uh, then somehow or other you've got to be able to influence the policy to a way that will be more Christian uh, will be more uh, palatable to the Christian palate. Well, I've got yes, good news and, and bad news. Um, the bad news is, uh, sorry, the good news. Let's start with the good news. The good news is you do have a voice. The good news is um, you actually can do it. The good news is you are the person that you want to meet, the kind of person with that, that influence. Um, the bad yeah. news is it takes time. Um, right. and, and so... As I mean, we just have to observe that this is an attack that has been building. It's been a strategy and agenda that's been cumulative for at least five, if not seven decades. Uh, and I'm talking yeah, decades. Right. And what we can yeah. often do is get very um, impatient and short-sighted and think in election cycles and think, oh, well, that's done. Yeah. Uh, William Wilberforce took a whole lifetime to overcome slavery. And that required a culture change, which he and the first ever grassroots human rights campaign staffed by Christians, populated by regular Christians, they changed a culture. They changed a nation. They changed the course of world history. Um, and so we have to do the same. The worst possible thing is to get frustrated, impatient and, and yeah. vacate the battlefield. Uh, yes, and right. and it's the same with the the political parties. We can't vacate them because they don't represent them because they don't represent yes. us and our values. We actually have to inundate them because they don't represent us and don't represent our Infiltrate. values. Yes. That's right. Okay. And so how how do you do that? Like as I'm a mum of um, eight, which includes my foster children, mm. um, and I <clears throat> have the passion. And um, I'm not afraid to um, speak out and um, ask, you know, sort of encourage people to hear my voice. Mm. Where do I go for something like that? Um, I don't have, um, I'm not financially well off. Um, I'm just an average person, but I really feel the need to be a part of seeing some change happen. That's so exciting, Alison. Um and such a great question that that really is just sort of like a gift from God, the kind of thing we wanted to talk about this morning. Um, and the, the short answer is uh, probably the most important way. Look, the, the simplest way that everybody should be doing, and I mean everybody who goes to church more than twice a month, 
Um, if you're a regular church-going Christian, this should be you. Come election time, uh, uh, survey all the candidates in your electorate, figure out who has the best position on the deal-breaker issues for you, that between um, your relationship with your pastor, your Bible, and your prayer time, that you have got God's word on who is the best person. Now, that doesn't mean they're a good person. doesn't mean they're a Christian. But find no, out right. find out the person who has got the best position. Now, I've voted for people before that I would, don't like their party, but they were the only person who was willing to fight for the things that I thought Jesus cared about the most, and so they yeah, earned I've, I've my vote. Yep. Now, once yep. they've earned your vote, um, and even that process of surveying them is an influential process, making your voice heard, uh, and it's especially powerful when multiplied because all of us are doing it, theoretically. Um, but then... With everything you have, whatever money you can afford, support them financially. Whatever hours you can afford, support them voluntarily on pre-polling or election day. And again, if we multiply these things, then you actually... uh, My 13-year-old daughter many years ago um, helped me on election day. Now, if there's anybody who's disempowered, disenfranchised, it's a 13-year-old shy, short female. Um, And... (laughs) And she helped me from dawn till dusk, uh, and she probably helped 20 people change their minds that day. Now, she got 20 votes legally and ethically, and I'm just plucking a number. It could be 200. It could be two, Um, But and we'll never know. But here's the thing is is we have to be good stewards of the opportunities God's given us, and that is a liberal, pluralistic, inclusive democracy that invites participation and debate. But above and beyond that, if you can join your local party, and I don't care what party it is, your presence will make it better. Um, I know the most about the party that I've been in, and, and that's the Liberal National Party. Uh, membership is not cheap, but it is affordable. It might oh, I can't remember what it is now, but it's going to be less than $200 a year. It might be 100 I really don't know. But if you can do that and then go along and be a long-term member... Um, you get to put your hand up. You don't need to lead debates, but you get to help decide important questions that the branch and the party are considering. And sometimes that will come down to there might be three candidates who are wanting to be chosen as the representative for that party. Uh, And what you can do is sometimes come down to a handful of people that will choose between a good candidate and a bad candidate, and that can make the difference to an election and a government. Thanks so much for that awesome question. Dave, uh, before we go any further, let's take a call. David is on the line from Perth in WA. Hi, David. Welcome. Yes, good morning, um, everyone. Um, just got two points I'd like to bring forward. Um, yep. Just like to chime in about voting. Um, when you go into the polls, uh, a lot of people have the what we call the donkey vote, and they just sort of say, any, many, miny, mo, and they don't really know what they're doing um, because they're so busy like the uh, person said that uh, we're busy doing our professions we've only got a, uh, an hour off from work and uh, we've got a family we're sort of uh, really preoccupied so the um, way I found a, a way going around that is to get a postal vote long before uh, polling day because it actually uh, lists all the candidates and all the people that are going to be there, and then in your uh, leisure, you can actually take the time to find out who these people are and what they represent. Now, most of the time, you're going to get that. 
but sometimes uh, there's some people that... Good point, David. Before you even get to the polling booth, if you've got a postal vote, you've got some time to do some research on those candidates, do some research on those parties before you actually decide to mark your ballot form. Uh, Let's get a thought or two from Dave Pello. Yeah, look, uh, if I can be honest, I'm... And I don't mean to be harsh, but uh, there is no excuse for not knowing who you're going to vote for uh, before you get to the polling booth. Whether you get a postal vote or whether you pre-poll, um, you know, you vote early or whether you go at 5 p.m. on Saturday, the last day to vote. Um, if you've only just thought about it at that stage, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you're not doing a very good job stewarding the responsibility and opportunity uh, that God has given us with a democracy. Uh, there's plenty of ways to find out who our candidates are and to do some research. And and the reason I feel it's pretty necessary to be a little bit harsh is because if we were buying a new fridge, we would put in a heck of a lot more effort uh, just to do a couple of hours of research before we go and spend $400, $600, $1,000. Uh, and how much more is at stake uh, with making this choice? And so uh, I'm right with you, David. We, we need to take the time. Uh, not be rushed and uh, do a little bit of research. And and here's the most important thing. Decide for yourself. Put them in the order that you prefer them according to uh, the values of the kingdom of God. Uh, David, you did, right. you did say you had a second point. Just quickly, what was the second point you were making? Well, um, because people are so um, disenfranchised and um, so... It, Empathetic uh, towards what's going on, they just feel like they're lost, and um, mm. that's probably why they don't put as much effort into um, getting this done. And like you said, we're all responsible, but um, I think we need someone to, um, you know, make people feel like they've got uh, a hope and, and a way forward. So, uh, yes, it's our responsibility, but um, maybe we could uh, help voters that are really um, strung out on, um, you know, living and everyday costs and um, normal stuff that they just don't seem to have the, the time, but they just um, have somewhere where they could go and, and uh, understand what's going on. Um, I think you get a lot more participation and a lot less em- empathetic uh, voting and what we call rollover culture and, and donkey voting, which has been going on for such a long time. And um, the problem with the smaller parties is they've changed the rules. So if we could get a little bit more help with that, because it's uh, very hard for uh, smaller parties to form now under the new rules of the election. David, um, lots of things that you're bringing up here. And uh, I wonder whether, Dave, you might have a thought or two uh, on David, but it would be good to, to talk about smaller parties as well briefly. But but what, any thoughts for David on that second point? What was that second point again? We, it was a little bit of uh, detail in there. It was the first thing you said, David. I remember the, the last thing you said. Yeah, it's just um, having somewhere people can oh, go. that's right, education. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so, because what, what's happening, I've noticed, I've talked with uh, other political members. If I can just answer um, that for you, um, the 2020 program is, is exactly what you're asking for, uh, and that's this daily information source encouraging people. I mean, this is what we're doing right now. 
Um, so find the podcast, uh, find the Facebook post, share it, ask people to watch it, listen to it. There's actually lots of resources out there in the community, but this is exactly the kind of thing that will help those people feel empowered, feel informed, and, uh, and to have more than what they're going on at the moment. And uh, as to small parties, um, it is a longer conversation, the merits and, and demerits of, of those things. But at the end of the day, keep it simple. Um, find out who the candidates are in your electorate and support the ones in order of how closely they represent uh, the values that uh, a ambassador for the kingdom of God should be advocating for on behalf of his neighbours. David in Perth, thanks so much for your call. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Before we go any further, let's talk about some of the issues that for a Christian are going to be, in some ways, paramount issues, the biggest issues. And uh, so we mentioned there's a election coming up in the ACT, there's one coming up in the state of Queensland. Uh, for you, Dave Pello, uh, deal-breaker issues that Christians are especially interested in, uh, which ones are the biggest ones for you? A short answer or a long answer? Well, give us a give us a list in a short answer if we can okay. uh, tackle a bunch of things. Then we might we might cherry pick, and there, there might be listeners who might like to contribute. I, but a uh, short answer without using too much flowery language: abortion. Uh, I think that's the number one issue, uh, and the reason is because it kills and deliberately takes the life with taxpayer funding. Just so many layers to the moral reprehensibility of of this issue. But the fact that we kill at least 80,000 Australians a year on purpose with my tax dollars is something that I am determined to bring an end to, not just the funding, but the whole... Uh, the whole injustice of this industry profitably surviving in Australia is is something we have to change this generation. Okay, so if we were adding to the list just quickly, and we won't have time to go into depth, but we mm. do some conversations that do take these things into depth, uh, you've got abortion and you say, well, that's number one. Well, that one's sort of obvious. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's so, so important to be to I be hope it's about. obvious. It, you, well, And you know what? It's still possible for a pro-abortion candidate to have a career in Australia. So it's not obvious enough to enough people. Well, that, that's true. Not obvious to enough people. But yeah. to, to the Christian believer, that should be the obvious one. One would hope. We yeah. were talking a little earlier about euthanasia, yeah. uh, the issues and look, in Victoria. And the rest of this answer is going to depend on which year we're asking the question. Right now... Euthanasia is an issue that the Labor Party is pushing for consistently. Uh, and I know some Christians who advocate for euthanasia. So it's not just uh, a uh, an issue that belongs to, to one side. Um, but again, we need attention on this. And the short story is you are killing somebody deliberately and uh, God said don't. Okay, so uh, we have all of the issues around LGBT agendas, uh, and you know one of the most prominent ones, of course, has been around the uh, uh, the uh, mm. conversion laws. Yep. Uh, you know that's we, we've seen that happen just over previous weeks. Wendy Francis and uh, the Australian Christian Lobby generally speak very well on this issue, and uh, and there are lots of lots of threads and facets to this issue. But the, the worst thing about the laws recently passed in Queensland and the ACT, which are facing elections right now, 
is the abhorrent violation of the image of God uh, and God's design for um, our sexuality and gender that is being pushed by toxic governments onto our most vulnerable citizens, children. The the plague proportions at which gender confusion uh, and now parents who refuse to transition a child are being criminalized in with who don't affirm the child's confusion are being criminalized in the ACT. That is a deal breaker issue for the Jesus I know, and and that is something uh, that's only a shade degree uh, less vile in Queensland with uh, doctors being criminalized who won't do that. And then, of course, uh, all of the issues around religious freedom and uh, anti-discrimination, the idea of taxpayer-funded dollars uh, supporting the weaponized court system to be Mm. used against people who disagree with them. So, Religious freedom is not an indulgent issue where we just want a little bit of comfort and luxury for ourselves. It's a vital ingredient to the liberty of our neighbours. If they're not allowed to disagree with the state religion, which is LGBTIQAX plus affirmation, then um, then they are not free at all. They're not free to think. They're not free to believe. They're not free to speak or act with their own convictions, uh, which may be dissonant to the state dogma. Let's take some calls. Graham is on the line from Cairns in Queensland. Hi, Graham. Welcome. Uh, g'day there. First off, I'd like to uh, correct something you said earlier about the uh, Christians in America, uh, that they're a forgotten group that uh, President Trump has brought them to the fore. But uh, really, they've always been the base, the base of the uh, Republican Party over there. Uh, so the Christians are always come out and vote in America generally more than other groups and they've always been the base of the republican party but getting to the elections here in uh, australia and with choices it's uh rather than do this research as your friend says uh which is good but you can spend i've spent an hour or so on each on each candidate and it gets very frustrating rather than do this uh, the Australian Christian Lobby or Family First, both of them should lay out a profile of all candidates that are uh, uh, putting themselves up for election in Australia and give a profile of where they stand on all these issues and what they may have naively uh, voted for or helped pass in the, in the past. Graham, we know that the Australian Christian Lobby does quite an amazing job with their surveys, not only of individual candidates, but also of the parties and uh, what their policy positions are. And those sorts of detail become available as the uh, as the research continues to increase in the lead up to an election. Now, uh, perhaps uh, we'd love to see it all a little bit earlier because of the way that pre-poll voting seems to become so popular. But uh, you make a good point there, the idea that there needs to be that sort of information at our fingertips and it has to be trustworthy. Dave Pello, your thoughts for Graham? Um, respectfully, I disagree. Uh, in fact, I, I think we've been dumbed down by people giving us how-to-vote cards. So whether the how-to-vote card comes from a politician or a media or something else, um, do your own work. Don't be lazy. Uh, This is no more effort than buying a fridge. Uh, But the really, really critical, important thing that a how-to-vote card robs you of is your voice. 
Your vote is not enough. You need to use your voice. The candidates need to hear from you. You need to contact them, whether it's a phone call to their office to register your primary area of of concern. Uh, and that's a lot. If I mean, we're talking electorates that have tens of thousands of people in them. Why? why I mean, there should be something like... 10,000 Christians per electorate in Australia. Why, If they got 1,000 phone calls, just phone calls registering that I'm looking for a pro-life candidate, um, then that, that has seismic reactions reverberating around the political sphere, which you will never achieve by taking a how-to-vote card or reading the research that somebody else has done for you. I do that research. I provide it for people, and I hate it. Because I know how many people are refusing to use their voice. And so it's, it's the, I want 99% of the conversations I'm involved in to be empowering you. You use your voice. You make that phone call. You reach out to every candidate, even the ones you know are going to ignore you or mock you, and make your voice heard. Because this is the currency of politics, and it's the voice that politicians will be swayed by, much more than just the vote. Graham and Cairns, thank you so much for your call. And, uh, you know, to take that little correction where he's absolutely right too, uh, we're in the United States. Perhaps those Christian foundations have been a mainstay for the Republican Party. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Republican Party all had uh, fabulously Christian policies. Uh, when Donald Trump came to the fore and touched on some things that no one was talking about, uh, that's where uh, he did tap into what was a forgotten block of voters. Uh, interesting to take your point to Dave Pellow around the idea that uh, that when you see even those fabulous Christian surveys that do have a comparison, one party to the other, mm. uh, that that, while it has tremendous no. benefit, it does actually dumb down what we ought to be doing in actually doing our own bit uh, of research. And, and I think they're actually fundamentally flawed. Uh, I support the notion, but... Um, Scott Morrison and Malcolm Turnbull would have scored the same on that comparison because they both come from the Liberal Party and they are not comparable in their values. You have to survey the candidates in your electorate, not the parties. Now, if you've got time for more research, that's fantastic. If you, it, it, I actually don't place a lot of weight in them. You have to, you, you're not asked to tick the party. Um, you're asked to tick the candidate's name. And the only useful question to ask the candidate is, how will you vote? The candidate will take into account all of the other questions you might ask. What do you believe? What will your party constrain you to? What does your party believe? What's your policy? You know, the candidate knows all of those things, and that will be part of their answer. But I want to hold their feet to the flames. I want the church to hold their feet to the flames and say, how will you vote if abortion comes up in parliament? How will you vote if euthanasia comes up in Parliament? How will you vote if freedom of speech and parental authority uh, and the undefinition of marriage comes up in Parliament? Tell me how you will vote, because I've had Christian candidates give me unsatisfactory answers. I'm not going to vote for a Christian who won't do the job for me if there's an un if there's an unbeliever who will. I don't need a Christian plumber. I don't need a Christian politician. I need somebody qualified to do the job right. And so the ACL can make contact with a candidate and a party, and it's one contact. But as you say, if there's a thousand people in every electorate mm. making the same contact, asking for the same 
uh, level and maybe well different uh, personalized yep. customized a survey uh, so that it puts people on their toes to respond and yep. understand that this is what the Christian community is calling for then you'll be a lot more effective I realize I'm talking to a minority of people not everybody's going to follow my my utopian idealistic wishes for them to be uh, so engaged as to do two hours of contact emails phone calls uh, with the candidates in their electorate and in that regard, uh, the guides put out by these fantastic Christian organizations are better than nothing. But uh, you're taking a fish instead of being, instead of taking the fishing rod. Uh, point taken there. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Richard in Alstonville in northern New South Wales. Hi, Richard. Hi, guys. Um, I just had a question for you. I've had this come up um, many times at church and just when I'm talking with people and um, I just want to know where um, the left and the right sits in the Bible because you, we, we often use it in politics and in the world it has different meanings. But um, how would I put that in a political sense? Because we, we're always told, oh, the right is the conservative side and it's the Christian side and the left is the opposite side. Um, well, yeah. Uh, let me let me just sort of qualify this, and I'll get Dave's uh, thoughts on this. It's a this. fun question. <laughs> uh, because, uh, as I often explain this, uh, when we talk about conservative and progressive, we're talking about conservative being the right, progressive being the left. And you don't have to have a religious perspective in there at all. But oftentimes when I'm talking about conservative sides, I use the terminology a classical conservative, which goes back to Christian foundations of conservatism. And that's where our Christian values colour those sides on the centre-right-right side of politics. Dave, what are your thoughts uh, for, for Richard? Um, look, I actually don't think those divisions are useful in in the church conversation. I mean, they have some useful la- uh, they have some usefulness as labels. They're, they're the descriptors, um, but if you're after a theological, and that's how you framed your question, uh, if you're after a theological answer of how do they sit, uh, the answer is found in the book of Joshua, chapter five, where he's outside the city of Jericho. Uh, getting ready for an invasion. He's getting ready for war and for battle against enemies. And uh, more than that, he's not a pastor. He's a soldier. He's a professional military man. And uh, he's not with his friends or his his um, his platoon. He's out by himself, maybe doing a scout, maybe praying. And then he sees a man with his sword drawn. Now, that's like finger on the trigger these days. Um, and so the smart question for a military man who's situationally aware is friend or foe. And he says to the man, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Not identifying him, he wants to identify him. And that's the question you're asking, uh, is is what side um, should we be on? And, and the man says, no, I'm not friend and I'm not foe. I'm the commander of the Lord's host. And Joshua falls down on his face and worships him and says, Speak, Lord, for your servants listening. Uh, he says, what does my Lord command? And, and so forget about what side you're on. It's just not relevant at all. What we want to find out is, is what does God say? 
and let's talk about issues instead of position. Because look, the political spectrums are so complicated. You can have left versus right uh, socially, uh, economically, and then you can have uh, you know the author the authority spectrum where on you know on authoritarianism uh, or anarchy. Does God sit? There's, there's so it's complicated. What we need to know is what's God's position on each policy, and then we get put in God's basket, not the left or right basket. And interestingly, too, and uh, we'd have to take a long time to unpack this idea, but of course you have kingship in the Bible. God is ultimately the king. Mm. King is a political rulership. And so if you're applying standards of God's kingship to any sort of political endeavor here on earth, uh, well, then that actually has uh, a weight because... If we talk in a sense of the transcendence of God and how we can actually have trustworthy rule of law and therefore a political debate that could be a peaceful one, uh, then that's actually a deeper question we might have to address on another day. But we've run out of time, Dave Pellow. But I know that you'll have really sparked something in the imagination of listeners today to hear some more of the sorts of thoughts that you've brought to 2020 today and I want to point people to Good Source, the Good Source. The Good Source has a website, GoodSource.news. Now, uh, just uh, very, very quickly, because we're running over time here, Dave, uh, what will people see on the Good Source? The Good Source is a uh, broad appeal uh, alternative news, new media uh, website, where we've got a new show published every day. It's not uh, strictly Christian, but there's lots of Christians on it. Um, all we we don't require uniformity of ideas or ideology. You don't need to be left or right, Christian or non-Christian. Uh, it's it's just what we want is honesty in opinion and um, differentiation between that and news. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's a good source. S A U C E dot news. Good source dot news. Dave Pello, good insights today. Thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us on twenty twenty. Great conversation. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. dot